Uh, two years ago, I failed my first student. Yeah, it was a bummer. I'm not a huge fan of failing people. Uh, I, you know, the thing is, I want people to succeed. I do. I want, as, as a teacher, I want my students to succeed. And the thing is, I'm a total softie. I basically say, look, if you improve, you're going to pass this class. Like, really, all you have to do is just try, and I will not fail you. So I had a student who, uh, and I do everything I can to make sure they're not going to fail. I mean, really. I, 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 I have them turn in their rough draft for their final paper two weeks before the final paper's due. I get their rough drafts. I fill it out with comments, being like, if you want to make this a passing paper, do this, this. I mean, I lay it out for them. It's like you, you, you really have to try to, to, to fail this. So I get a student who uh, turns in his rough draft, and I, you know, spend hours. I mean, you know, just break my back trying to take this, this utterly terrible paper and make it something that is close to, you know, rational thought. And I send this thing back to him, and two weeks go by, and then he turns in his final paper, and I open it up, and it's exactly the same paper as his rough draft. I'm like, oh, well, all right. So, I mean, I, I was personally hurt a little bit. So I was like, what, what about all that time I spent, you know, trying to help you? Uh, so I emailed him. I said, I think you might have turned in the wrong uh, draft because nothing's changed in the last two weeks. Uh, and if you notice the comment uh, of your rough draft at the very bottom, it says, look, uh, this is not a graduate level paper. This is a paper that um, might have passed uh, at the high school level, but it's not where it needs to be. And so I, 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 my hands are tied here. I, We've already passed the deadline. I can't give you another chance. If you don't have another version of this paper that you send to me today, I'm, there's nothing I can do. Well, I never got a response. <laughs> so, so I'm pretty sure that he never even opened my comments or looked at them or anything. Uh, so, you know, whatever. My life moves on. I have to turn in grades. And uh, so a couple weeks later, I, you know, fill it out. And this is the first time. That, F, you know, I'm sorry. What, what do I do? And then I... Uh, get an email from somebody just confirming that in fact the student didn't do their job and so I just shot off another an email back saying something like yeah it was a substandard paper I mean I hate doing it but what are you going to do uh, didn't even think about it I was busy doing something else uh, about an hour or two later I got another email it's this diatribe and it starts out saying um, you know this is not the kind of professionalism that I expect from you know a fuller professor Instructor, da, 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 da. you know, you, da, 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 da. And at the very bottom, it says uh, this professor's name. He was the, the student's mentor. It says his name. And then below it, it says, no publications, exclamation point. Okay. And I was like, what, what just happened? So then I look at the email that I'd sent him. And it was my little thing. And then below it was uh, sort of my, you know, this is how great I am my tag that I send on my professional emails, where it says, here are all my publications. I list out all the things that I've you know, published in peer review, uh, chapters that I have coming out, things like that. And uh, I, I could see that what had happened was I'd sent that, and he'd looked at this little thing, which you know, he felt like his student was getting shortchanged. Then he saw me talking about how awesome I am. And he was like, oh, really? <laughs> well, let me tell you about you, Tom. And it ended up turning out for the best, because I... You know, personally, I didn't. The reason I did that is because my PhD mentor said I should. Uh, it's so that when I send stuff to people in the business, that they'll take me seriously. Uh, you know, until until you make a name for yourself, you've got to 
let people know that you're not just a hack, right? And so he said I should do this. But then what I realized was that it was just, in fact, as pretentious as I had originally thought that it was and made me uncomfortable doing it. It really was that. It really did send a message to people that I was, you know, that I thought of myself as this wonderful whatever. And it could be taken the wrong way. And not only that, it turns out that this guy had a really bad day. He'd invested a lot in this student. And so when he saw this and then he got one line back from, you know, pretentious Thomas Andrew Bennett, he was just incensed, just broken. How could this happen? Well, we cleared it all up, and we had a, actually a very nice email exchange and whatnot, um, and it turned out for the best. We, you know, we became friends or whatever. But there was this, this, this utter um, failure to communicate. There was an utter, um, just a really, really bad experience that we had online. Now, I suggest to you that probably um, many of you have had bad experiences online. Uh, you've been offended by somebody, or you've offended someone, or you've been incensed by something that you've read. Uh, people that originally you thought that you were good friends with, you've realized through their online persona that they were actually your enemy. Um, most of you are probably thinking about Scott right now, who, who's, who's absolutely offensive uh, f- presence on Facebook is um, just a detriment to the kingdom of God, really. Yeah, just block Scott. That's the If you take away anything from this message today, block Scott on Facebook. All right. Well, online communication is bizarre. It is. And if you're wondering why we're talking about the internet today, it's this is a part of a series the resurrection of the rest of life, right? We're resurrecting the rest of life, and one of the things that is in desperate need of resurrection right now is our online presence, our personal brand, which we're going to talk about in a second. Online communication's bizarre. It's, um, well, it's, there's many pitfalls, and I've listed out four for you on your note sheets. It's public. Everything that you do online never goes away. Um, you guys might remember back in 2000, it's, you can still find it on YouTube. In 2003, I think, Star Wars Kid made his debut on the internet. If you haven't seen Star Wars Kid, at the time he was maybe 13 years old. He's a Canadian um, kid. Uh, a little bit, little bit chunky, um, obviously didn't have a lot of friends, and he filmed himself with, <laughs> with like a, what it was a lightsaber, and he was dancing around, swinging his lightsaber left and right. Unfortunately, this was videotaped. Someone who didn't like him got it, a hold of it, and then they added in after effects of like the lightsaber glow, and they put like this music on, really just humiliated him. Um, it was very funny. The first time I saw it, I just laughed. I couldn't stop laughing. Like, oh, what an idiot. And then I read a, uh, you know, a, an article where a reporter had gone to find this kid four years later. And yeah, he said that, that destroyed my life. Um, he was world famous overnight and world infamous, really. It's public. Online, what happens on the internet stays on the internet and you can never get away from it. He will always be Star Wars kid. He's never just going to be Ghislaine. That's his name. Uh, the internet's impersonal. It's public. It's impersonal. Uh, impersonal. Internet speech isn't aimed at people. You know, it's not face-to-face. Uh, you might think that it is. You might think that you're communicating with someone. You might have someone in mind. But really, as soon as you push the post button, it's everywhere. It's to everybody. Um, and that means that it's context-independent. That's the third thing. It's context-independent. There's no uh, context to what you're saying when people receive it. Um, because the internet is completely democratic. I mean, if I get out there and I have my blog, 
when I was in Japan, I tried to have a blog. And uh, I, you know, randomly would just say whatever it is I was thinking about in Japan. And one day I got a comment from someone on my blog that was, uh, she was a, a 16-year-old in Madison, Wisconsin. And somehow, by the miracle of the Google or whatever, she had landed on my blog and heard what I had to say about Japan. Now, it was a positive interaction, but it should shock us a little bit that what I say on the internet, being, what, middle to upper middle class, uh, Caucasian, um, educated, uh, you know, living in a foreign country in a different culture, that what I say about the world is received by somebody who is completely outside of my um, socioeconomic status, the way I see the world. It's, it's utterly context independent. Lastly, the fourth thing, it's asynchronous. Uh, this is the fancy term we use in online education to talk about the fact that what you do on the internet, has, there's a time lapse between what you do and what people receive. It's asynchronous. A meaning not, and synchronous meaning in time. When I talk to you face-to-face, it's synchronous. We're in the same period of time. Asynchronous is when we step out of time. Now, it's kind of strange because in the internet, I could say something at this time in my life, you know, this is what's going on, I'm doing whatever, and yet the person who receives it, receives it 10, 15, 20 years later in a completely different world. This is fun for people who like to follow politics because, you know, some person will say, unbelievable, this, I am outraged that we could use language like this about another American. And then two years later, that person who was so outraged uses exactly the same language to talk about another person, right? And so we look, because they're using asynchronous uh, communication, we can compare who they say they are at one time to who they are at a different time. And we don't take into account that people change, right? We, we juxtapose what, who you are now and who you are 10 years from now or 10 years ago. And we say, you're the same person. All the same standards apply. And so we immediately, by using the internet, we are almost always instantly hypocrites because we change and our views change and the things that we think and say change, but the internet remains. Well, in today's world, our online presence is necessary and I think it can be good but it has to be carefully managed so that we can avoid the problems that, rely, that arise because of its unique nature. Because it's public and impersonal, context-independent and asynchronous. We have to manage it. And luckily for you, Forbes and about a billion other websites have come up with a solution. And the solution is personal branding. Your personal brand. Whether you're on the job hunt, this is from Forbes, a student or gainfully employed, you must think, act, and plan like a business leader. With the surge of social media, this is awesome, so exciting. The surge of social media, you have not only the ability, but now the need to manage your own reputation both online and in real life. Employers will Google you before they even invite you to an interview. And when you interact with people, both online and offline, they'll build up an image of who you are over time. And here's where you come in. We got a, we got a fix for you, don't worry. We got a fix. You want to be in control of all those impressions. Why leave your professional reputation to chance when you can be your own PR guru and manage your image? Wow, this is fun. I have so much power. Your personal brand is all about who you are and what you want to be known for. Your first task, develop your brand mantra. This is the heart and soul of your brand, according to branding expert Kevin Keller. It doesn't say Kevin Keller PhD, but I'm sure he does have a doctorate in uh, brand management. That's probably a thing. 
It's the foundation of all your branding efforts. It's not a mission statement. It's a quick, simple, and memorable statement describing who you are and what you have to offer. Ivanka Trump is an American wife, mother, and entrepreneur. FedEx is peace of mind. Disney is fun family entertainment. Rick Ross, who apparently is some kind of singer or rapper, Rick Ross featuring T-Pain is, I'm a boss. It's good to know that I've uh, officially become out of touch. What's your personal brand? Well, today I I was thinking about Kevin, and I was trying to, what, what is Kevin Reed, our drummer, uh, husband to Amy. What is his Kevin's personal brand? A simple short statement that sums up everything he is. And I thought, beautifully passionate, passionately beautiful. No one. I mean, basically, ba- oh, did we come up with one for you, Doug? Not yet. All right, we'll work on it. And if you're wondering, yeah, personal branding works. Just ask Kim Kardashian. Kanye West, and Justin Timberlake. Well, as Christians, we're expected, and we must, find our direction from Scripture. And unfortunately, the New Testament doesn't talk a lot about personal branding, at least not directly. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 5 to 15, and find out about Paul's personal brands. Stand, please, as we read this text together. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your slaves for his sake. For it's the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we carry this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, that the excellence of the power may be of God, not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not constrained. We're perplexed, but we don't despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but they don't destroy us. Always carrying about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So guys, this is the deal. Death is working in us but life in you. And since we have the same faithful Holy Spirit, according to what is written, I was faithful and therefore I spoke, we also are faithful. And so now we can speak and tell you who we are, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For everything we do, all things are for your sakes. That grace, free of charge, grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Please be seated. Now, if you followed that in your pew Bibles, you'll notice I've made some changes. We don't have a ton of time for me to go through each one of those, uh, but I will mention a few things. Uh, The first you'll notice is that in verse 5, I changed preach to proclaim. And that's because preach, when we we typically think about it, we talk about preaching the gospel. But that's not what Paul's talking about right here. He's not talking about telling people the good news of God's forgiveness. He will mention that. But what he's really talking about is, who do we talk about? 
Who is it that's on our lips? What person, what thing, what event do you always hear about when you hear our mouths open? Is it us? Us, I mean Paul and Timothy. Uh, at the beginning of the letter, Paul says this comes from him and Timothy. Is it always Paul and Timothy that you're hearing about? Or is it something else? Well, we don't proclaim ourselves. Who do we proclaim? We proclaim Christ Jesus, the Lord. The Messiah is Lord, ruler of the, of the universe. If we talk about ourselves, we call ourselves slaves. Uh, that's changed from bond servants. I don't like the idea of bond servants because Paul's really trying to emphasize the fact that he's a nobody. He's a scum of the earth, low nobody, and that's how he presents himself to people. He does it for Jesus' sake. And this is so strange. When he's talking about it, he, he's talking about Jesus, who's the Lord, right? And then he wants to explain what he, the, the content of his message about this Jesus, of the Lord, this Jesus who is Lord. He says in verse 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, the God who created the universe in Genesis, most powerful being that has ever been, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's glory looks like? Well, most people are going to tell you, look at the amazing things that he's done, right? And so most people might think, well, he created the universe, thereby showing his power, and that is his glory. Paul says, yes, that is his glory. But it's also revealed another way. It's revealed in the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. Well, what does the face of Messiah Jesus look like? Well, it's bruised. It's bloody. He has black eyes because he was tortured to death. You want to know what God's glory looks like? Look at the one who's crucified. This is bizarre. I mean... From a personal branding standpoint, I mean, come on. Uh, what, what are we going to do? We're going to have our personal brand be, you know, we're going to put our... <laughs> you think about the Catholic Church, right? You walk into the Catholic Church, and almost always there's a picture of Jesus really hurting, right? Look at all the Renaissance art, uh, art and architecture. Um, you think about the, the images of Jesus that have been portrayed over the years, and it is a very unseemly, not attractive image. It is not a, what, vision of success, Right? This is not um, how you're going to succeed in business by looking like that. If you're on the internet and you're trying to you know, get people to look at your Facebook profile, you want them to, to click on your Vine, your Vining, Vine videos, your Snapchats, your Instagrams. If you want people to look at them, you're, the, the best way to do it is not to present yourself as somebody who's the glory of God. Right. And then Paul goes on. He says, well, well, here's the thing, though, Corinthians. Here's the deal. This is actually how I operate. You want proof? You want proof? We, Timothy and I, we're afflicted in every way but not constrained. That means they're beat up, and yet somehow they're able to continue to do the work that they want to do. They're perplexed but not in despair. Perhaps you've been like this after you've taken your licks. You're like, God, why? Haven't I had enough? Really? Isn't it time to lay off, Tommy, and move on to the next? And yet we don't despair because we know that God has been there in the past and will be there for us in the future. 
Paul says we've been persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. And then he reflects on it. He steps back and he says, now I'm thinking about that. What is that like? And he says, I know. I've been carrying in my body the dying of our Lord Jesus. Every day that I go through these things, I look back and I see that the Lord Jesus, who didn't go out well, is being a part of my life, my experience. And then Paul thinks about the logic of that. He thinks, well, Jesus suffered, why? To make us free. Jesus suffered for our forgiveness. Jesus suffered so that we would be acceptable to God. His suffering led to our salvation. And he thinks, maybe, 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 my suffering has the same kind of purpose for you, Church of Corinth. Maybe because I'm getting, my, getting beat up, because I'm you know, looked at as a slave and a nobody and someone who's incapable of, of being charismatic and fun, because I'm all of these things that you, uh, because I'm not any of the things you want me to be, maybe this suffering that's being built up in my life, maybe it's somehow working out so that you, you will have life. You will be saved. Saved not from hell, not to get the forgiveness of God. That's something only Jesus can do. Uh, Nevertheless, maybe it's a chance for these people to save them from the kingdom of this world, to show them that the values of the world don't matter, that that's not what life is about. Instead, he can get them to see different values, kingdom values, prepare them for the life to come. Very quickly, um, let me mention that... uh, In verse 13, Paul quotes from uh, the Psalms. He says, I was faithful and therefore I spoke. We also are faithful and therefore speak. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's move on. All right. Paul's personal brands. Now it looks, I mean, I, come on, honestly. Is this really, does this text really mean a lot for me today as I'm clicking on my Insta books and my, uh, my, my LinkedIn is this, is this really helpful? I mean, Paul, what, Paul's talking about what? Well, in Paul's situation, he's come into this church, and he started the church, but then he left, and then other, other Christians came, and they were much better looking, and much more charismatic, and much more fun than Paul, and, and they told the Corinthians what they wanted to hear. Oh, gosh, you're so good looking. I love you so much. You're, you're beautifully passionate and passionately beautiful. And then the, and then the Corinthians responded like, well, yes, indeed I am, and I love you. I, why did we listen to that guy, Paul? What a, what a loser. It's always doom and gloom with Paul. It's always, you know, Jesus is dead. He's like, you got crucified and we should, you know, somehow live like that. It's just, it's just awful. I like, I like you better, Sylvanus. I like you better, Apollos. You guys are awesome. And the thing is, Paul doesn't ever respond. He just kind of takes it. He's like, whatever, you know. And finally, he gets to a point where he has to talk. He has to tell them what's really going on. And he does it he justifies this move by referring to Psalm in, in our te- in our uh, Psalm in our Bibles one sixteen ten, and that is the Psalm of a righteous sufferer, somebody who doesn't deserve to go through the suffering that they go through, but they do, and then they realize then that God has raised them up and lifted them up and will glorify them, and Paul thinks of that as Jesus. That's what happened to Jesus, and at. Psalm 116.10, Jesus ostensibly says, I was faithful to God's call, and so I was able to speak out the truth to people. You know, 
Jesus did the right things, and so he was qualified to speak. Paul says, I've done the right things, and so I'm qualified to speak. I'm able to tell you the truth about what my life is like, because I don't usually. And I'm able to show you that my life is my testimony, showing you that I'm worth listening to. So what is Paul's personal brand that he's finally able to speak up about? Well, the first thing is, on your note sheet, Paul's personal brand is hidden. Paul's personal brand is not broadcast. It is not put out for everyone to see all the time. And that's why he has to appeal to the psalm to say, I've been faithful, and so it's okay for me to tell you the truth about who I am. And so this is one of the very few times we get to see Paul being honest about who he sees himself as. Because for the most part, Paul doesn't think it's important for you to know who he is. Paul doesn't think it's important for your, his brand to be broadcast to the world so that everyone can know who Paul is. He doesn't think that that matters. It's not that he doesn't want you to know. He just doesn't care. He, it's not that Paul doesn't want people to see who he is or what he's done. It's that that doesn't matter because of what his vocation is. Paul is after something a lot bigger and a lot more important than having people think about him. And we know what that is. We don't proclaim ourselves, he says in verse 5, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul hides his personal brand because sometimes his personal brand gets in the way of the one that matters, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, Paul's personal brand is built on Jesus' brand. You know, it's funny. What they tell you at Forbes magazine is when you're developing your personal brand, you've got to think about all the things that make you attractive, right? So for me, it's what? My six-pack, uh, my incredible tan, um, the what, the, my, my gift with mechanical vehicles and my ability to fix them. You know, there's a lot of things that you guys have noticed over the years that I'm very, very good at. And those are the things that I'm supposed to, to put out there. My personal brand, it's about me. It's about, it's about describing all the great stuff about Tom and, and putting it on the world. That's not where Paul goes to get his personal brand. He doesn't look at Paul and say, what's Paul good at? Making tents. That's Paul's thing. And so then he comes out, he's like, hey guys, Paul the tent maker in your house. Who's ready for a tent? Yeah. It's a two-story two tent right in here. No, that's not what Paul does. Instead, Paul takes on the image, the personal brand of somebody else. He becomes somebody else. Who? Jesus Christ. He borrows it. His, his persona is stolen from somebody else. A terrible marketing move. It's, a, it's Forbes declares it. That is not the way to do personal branding. If you steal it from somebody else, you're going to fail. They're going to see right through you. And yet, Paul's personal brand is built on Jesus' brand. Number three, Paul's personal brand is utterly unattractive. It is not attractive. There are not a lot of people going around in the ancient world, or for that matter, the 21st century, going, I wish that I could be afflicted in every way, and yet able to do what I want to do. I wish that I could be confused all the time, um, but never actually lapsing into despair. I wish that I could be persecuted, but not persecuted so much that it ends, but just persecuted enough that I can keep going. I wish that I could be struck down, beaten up, and yet not killed. Very few people look at that and say, yeah, sign me up for that. And yet Paul has. And Paul very rarely talks about it. It's hidden. It's borrowed from Jesus. But that's who he is. 
He's somebody unattractive. He even mentions a couple times, he's like, I didn't come to you with charisma and beautiful speech. At times he talks, he intimates occasionally, very, very rarely he intimates things about himself. And when he does, he's almost always doing it in the third person. Because for Paul, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And whatever I do, it needs to be about him. And the fact of the matter is when he lives like that, he's not attractive. And guys like Sylvanus and Apollos and all these other dudes who come in who are much cooler, who are much more learned, who are much more uh, charismatic and fun and exciting, they're the ones who get listeners because Paul's not branding himself well. Well, if we were to give Paul his personal brand, if we were going to come up with the commercial, I think at McDonald's now it changes. You know, you can't have it forever. It's got to change. The McDonald's, I feel like there's a lot of times I see the McDonald's logo and then a smile. Do you see that? It says smile with a period and has like a... Brent knows all about this stuff. Brent, I mean, Brent is into... He's into art and, uh, you know, advertising, marketing, as, you know, Kevin also. Uh, Brett, my, my brother-in-law. I mean, we've got some people here who know about how you're supposed to do these things. I don't, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I was trying to come up with Paul's jingle, the commercial that you would, that if Paul's going to go on TV and be like, hey, I should be your apostle and start your church, what would his thing be, right? So we could have the slow motion, Paul's like hair's blowing in the winds, and he's like, hey, you. And then right underneath it, it would go, what would it say? Always dying to give you life. Always dying to give you life. That's my, that's my Paul jingle right there. Paul, what does he say? He says, death is working in us, but life in you. He says, everything I do is another attempt to pour out my life, to die like Jesus, so that somehow the life of Jesus will flourish in your congregation. And I don't like talking about it because that puts, that puts the focus on me and that's not where it should be, guys. But I have to because you're not listening. But look at what I do. I stay up all night making tents for crying out loud. Why? So I don't take any money from you. Look at my life. I go from place to place and everywhere I go, I get kicked out of town and people try to stone me to death. Why do you think I'm doing that? Because it's fun? No. It's because I believe sincerely that by doing it, I am able to make you people better. I'm able to help you people get ready for when you see the king. I'm able to bring you a gospel free of charge, utterly free. I don't charge you a thing for it. I take up all the bruises, all the pain, all the hurts, so that when you get the gospel, it doesn't cost a thing. And so I'm always dying to give you life. And if you're wondering, yeah, Jesus was always dying to give you life. And the prophets were always dying to give Israel life. And Job was always dying to wait for life. This isn't new, friends. This is the way God's always operated. I'm always dying to give you life. 
Well, what does that have to do um, with Facebook? I suggest to you the first thing is that, um, you know, Facebook and Web 2.0 and Instagram and all this stuff, uh, what it really is about fundamentally at the very bottom of the internet Web 2.0, it is about you. The internet is ulti- it's, it's ultimately customizable. It is all about you being who you want to be and presenting yourself in the way you want to be presented to whoever sees you. You craft and you, you, you change your image and you uh, create some, some version of yourself that you wish you were or that you are on your best days or that you're not at all. And you broadcast that to the world because the internet and, and social media and, and, and uh, digital media today is about you. It's about you and you and you and you. And it's not about anybody else. It's about getting other eyeballs onto you. Uh, when I joined Facebook, just briefly, it was 2007, I think, or 2006. And at that point in my life, I decided that it was time to seriously think about getting a wife. Um, you know, I'd been around the world, and maybe it's time to, let's you know, put our finger, dabble a little bit, just see what happens. So the right thing to do, of course, is to go onto Facebook and make yourself out to be awesome. Get the aviator sunglasses on that photo. Hey. Hey, you. And, and be sure, I, I spent hours, literally hours, thinking about which bands I would put on my musical interests list. So that when people came, they would know that my, that my taste was how do you say? Uh, mainstream enough to be familiar, but indie and cool enough to, to know that I'm better than you. Right? Um, I, it was, I, my quote had to be from you know, a, a, an author that probably you hadn't heard of, but as soon as you, you did find out about them, you're like, wow, I wish I'd known about that. That's awesome. Wow. And the whole point of that, the whole point of that was to get her eyeballs on me. That's what the internet is for. And in my case, it was about getting a wife. Me am center of universe. Constant self-promotion. You, you post on somebody else's page. Why? To get them to visit yours and tell their friends about it. And yet Paul's personal brand is about Paul disappearing entirely. If Paul successfully promotes his brand, you'll never think about Paul at all. His success, if you want to call it that, means being utterly ignored. Success, if you want to call it that, means he has no status. He's of no accord whatsoever. He's just a slave if he's anything at all. Instead, your eyes are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why? Because Paul thinks about glory differently than I do. Glory was getting the right wife, or being successful in business, or being popular, or whatever. Glory is that. And Paul says, no, glory, we know it in the face of Jesus Christ, the bruised, battered, and bloodied face of the Messiah of the world. That's glory, friends. And I want to turn your eyes to that. Success for Paul doesn't mean Paul becoming popular. It means the Corinthian church meeting her Lord and her Lord looking at at the Corinthian church and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's Paul's success. It's the Corinthian church being purified and seeing God and God being pleased. That has nothing to do with Paul at all. And this means that Paul is all in. He's bet all his chips on the next life. He's betting on resurrection. He's betting that this isn't the end. 
He's betting that the, the, the God who raised up the Lord Jesus, verse 14, will also raise up us up with Jesus and will present us, Corinthian church, with, or present us, me and Timothy, with you, Corinthian church. And so for all things, it's your, for your sake, Corinthian church. Everything I'm doing is to make it all free to you, to give you life. And I hate, I hate that I even have to come out and say it. It's a disgrace. We're out of time. Um, I am not suggesting that you back off social media. I mean, maybe you should. I don't know. Um, in fact, really, if anything, my, my major problem is that I have completely, I just don't do it at all. I'm, I'm scared of it, honestly. I'm scared of um, the way that what, who I am and what I present myself as might hurt or destroy. Like, it, it frightens me because I've seen it happen to myself. So I'm not suggesting you back off. If anything, I should probably log on. What I am uh, suggesting is that we take into account all these pitfalls of social media and and our digital persona. The the problem of of all being public, it's all impersonal, it's context-independent, asynchronous. We take all that into account. And then we think, how do I craft my online presence? So I disappear and the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. And the Corinthian church, the Coast Bible church, is presented to God spotless and holy. How do I craft my presence on Facebook, LinkedIn, Vine, Instagram, um, YouTube? Um, how, do I, how do I meticulously craft my presence on those things in such a way that I disappear, the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified, and Coast Bible church is presented to him as a spotless bride. I don't know the answer to that question, and it's an open question for this church. I only know that I've ignored social media, and I don't think that that's helpful. Um, Next week, we're going to continue on resurrecting uh, our lives in a digital age. This week, as we think, what can we do to make our online presence to the glory of God and not ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Paul's faithful ministry. We thank you that in him we have an image of the Lord Jesus Christ who is an image of you. God, we pray that we can think with Paul about how we can resurrect a part of our lives that's consuming more and more of our time and energy that we can make this part of our lives, this digital part of our lives, your glory, that even the internet will be a means by which this church is presented to you spotless and holy. God, we bless you. We pray that you'll resurrect our personal brand. In Jesus' name, amen.